Hey, good morning. Glad to see you. Glad you're here. Are you glad you're here? Yes. Okay. Why don't you say you're glad you're here to somebody next to you, just so they, they know too. Because we're in this together, right? <clears throat> we're in this together. We're in a fight. I like that song. Thank you. Thank you. We're in a fight. Uh, that song we sang, uh, we're in a war, we're in a fight. And he's the king of our heart. But we fight together. It's a good fight. And so <clears throat> let's open our Bibles, 1 Timothy chapter 1. We're going to pick it up where we left off. Uh, I do want to say thank you again for your prayers for us. And um, for those of you that hadn't heard, um, you know, it's been like two weeks, almost two weeks. It'll be two weeks Tuesday when my mom passed away. But a week after that, my dad got rushed to the hospital. Uh, with uh, blood infection and pneumonia, and uh, <clears throat> and uh, he's recovering pretty pretty quickly though he was pretty strong. But uh, it's amazing how things like that can, you can go down so quickly. And um, strange thing is he he went to the same hospital, the same floor where my mom was, and then he got moved to the same rehab uh, a couple doors down from where my mom was. Is that weird? So he's still there now. He should get out in another day or two. Um, and then uh, we're going to have a memorial service in about three weeks. So appreciate your prayers. First Timothy chapter 1, uh, talking about false teachers and false teaching. And we're going to talk about sound doctrine today. And Paul's writing to Timothy. Um, but I, I believe that the Word of God uh, makes it clear that he's writing to us too. That we have to be on our guard. We have to be listening. We have to be paying attention and the first thing that he deals with in this letter, I want to repeat this because it's so important, the first order of business that Paul deals with when he's writing to Timothy in this place of Ephesus is about false teaching, about false teachers, and to watch out and beware, and, and he deals with these issues. It's the very first thing, the need for sound doctrine. Look at verses 3 through 5. He says, as I urged you when I went into Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus, so that you may command certain men not to teach false doctrines any longer, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. These promote controversies rather than God's work, which is by faith. The goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Paul had been to Ephesus on his second and his third missionary journeys. In fact, he had stayed there. He stayed there on his, his uh, third missionary journey. He stayed for like three years teaching. And so it's, uh, it's kind of ironic. The place that he stayed really the longest teaching is the place that he's now telling Timothy, you got to be careful that false teaching doesn't crop up, that it doesn't spring up and, and be on your guard. So even though... Even though we have dedicated ourselves here to teaching God's Word, we go through the Bible, we go through chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Even though we have made a commitment to that, that is part of our DNA of who we are, you still have to be on guard. You still have to watch out. You know, we could, we could easily go down some weird, strange path as, as we're going to see Paul warning Timothy to do. So we all have to stay on guard, not just those in leadership, but every one of us needs to be on guard and, and take a strong stand for the truth. 
or sound doctrine. He talks about really those that would delight in controversy, those that would teach false doctrines, that, that they would devote themselves to myths and genealogies, just stuff that, that is added to the truth. And, and, and then there's this taking away from the truth. Those that would claim special knowledge. But at the end of the day, he says there in verse 5, that the goal of this command, really what, we're, what we need to be heading towards is love, agape love. He says that it comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Those are the things that we, 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 we should see coming out of it. Not controversy, not weirdness, but agape love. In a pure heart where our hearts are cleansed and washed and our consciences are clear and our faith is sincere and growing. Look at verse 6 where we pick it up. He says there that some have wandered away from these and have turned to meaningless talk. He says some, and notice it's not all, but some have wandered away. Some versions translate it swerve. They've taken this turn. And, and really, it, you know, it was a medical term that, that meant to, uh, to twist out of joint. They kind of went in this turn. And, and if you've ever had a joint that's twisted out, oh, that's painful to think about it. I did something to my knee this week. Everybody say, oh. And uh, thank you. And um, <clears throat> I don't even know what I did, but all of a sudden my knee was like all messed up all week long. I'm like going upstairs, you know, one step at a time. You know how you did it? One, 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 one. It's like, and I'm only 45, you know, and, and I'm having to do that. So it's like, the, it's, how did it happen? Sometimes we don't even know how it happened. I think I, I hit something with my knee, and it just happened. It's, uh, it's getting much better now. Say, oh, there you go. Okay. So, but this idea of having wandered and swerved, got really kind of gotten out of joint, he says. Some have wandered away from these, from, from these what? These, these things of having agape love and a pure heart, a good conscience and sincere faith. We wander away from the things that are really important and we kind of take this little turn and we end up out of joint. We end up messed up. But we really need to hold on to what we know to be the truth. And that's what he says in Hebrews. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess. For he who promises faithful. We need to hold on to the truth that we have. We need to know what the truth is. We need to know what we believe and know why we believe it. But we need to also hold on to it. Because there's a lot of different things that come in to make us kind of wander away. Can you think of anything that would make us wander away? I can think of a few things. Our own, our own uh, you know, sinful flesh. Well, we kind of like this idea a little better because it makes me feel good, and it, but it isn't really what the Bible teaches. Or people, as we've seen, uh, teachers that come along and they have their own agenda. Things like greed, we'll see in the next verse, other problems. But he says that they've turned aside to meaningless talk. And, and uh, I, I kind of like what the, the King James translates it, vain jangling. Now, that doesn't mean anything to us, but it sounds cool, doesn't it? Vain jangling. They turn aside to vain jangling. In other words, they're like saying all this stuff, but it doesn't, it doesn't mean anything. It's nowhere. But 
That's what some churches have gotten to. I remember years and years and years ago, uh, Bill Kinneman, uh, who many of you know, uh, uh, Mrs. Kinneman's husband. Hi, Mrs. Kinneman. Everybody say hi, Mrs. Kinneman. But he talked about going to a church, and, and he went to this church, and uh, he, it was supposed to be a church, and they didn't open the Bible. They didn't talk from the Bible. They read poems. It was around Christmas time. They read, I think, I think I remember correctly, he told me they read, "'Twas the night before Christmas, went all through the house." Now, that sounds like vain jangling to me. But it's happening in a lot of places. Well, we don't want to talk about the Bible because we don't want to offend anybody. We don't want to say what the Bible says because it might make somebody unhappy or uncomfortable. But you know what? This is what we have. This is what God has given us, and we need to hold on to it. We've got to hold on to it. We need the truth. We need the solid foundations, and, and uh, we need to get into the Bible and study what it says and find out what these words mean because, you know, we can just do the Christianity light thing where we just kind of brush the surface and, and we kind of know some things, but we need to get into the Word. And that's not just me. That's every one of us. We need to know what the Bible says. We know a lot about "'Twas the night before Christmas." You could probably repeat the whole thing. I could, maybe, if I wasn't 45. we got to watch out. He says, some, not all. And I think there are still some that are, that are solidly teaching the Bible, that are, that are keeping us focused on what God's Word has to say. And thank God for that. There's a, there's a whole army of, of, of men and women that are keeping us focused around the Word of God and on the Word of God. Look at verse 7. We see some motivation there. He says, They, those that have wandered, those that have swerved, he says, They want to be teachers of the law. They want to be teachers of the law. In other words, it's kind of the thing they want for themselves, a, a position. It's a kind of an ego thing. Well, I just like uh, you know, to people to think of me as a teacher of the law, or, uh, some kind of a teacher, some kind of a leader, some kind of a position. But he says there, but they do not know what they are talking about or what they so confidently affirm. He says they have no idea what they're talking about. Just talking, but there's no substance. I mean, you, you, you know, you've talked with people that just talk and talk and talk and they don't say anything. And you go wonder, you wonder. Now, I'm not pointing at any of you. But you wonder if they just like to hear the sound of their own voice. You know what I'm saying? Because you're trying to have a conversation. It's supposed to be a conversation back and forth, and, and they don't let you get a word in edgewise. Now, he, he's talking about this kind of thing here. They're, they don't know what they're talking about, but they keep talking, and they even are confident. They're even dogmatic about what they're talking about, but they really don't even know what they're talking about. That's kind of scary, isn't it? Just because somebody is uh, confident and dogmatic about something does not mean that it's the truth. In fact, often it's, it's the opposite. It's because they are so dogmatic about it and they don't know what they're talking about that, that people buy into it. This is zeal uh, without knowledge. 
You can have a lot of zeal, but if you don't know what you're talking about, what good is that to anybody, right? He's got a lot of zeal. He's very excited. I would rather have a, a, you know, a, a clear teaching of God's word than somebody who gets all excited and gets everybody all whipped up, but there's no foundation, nothing behind it, nothing underneath it, right? I'm trying to, trying to uh, encourage you here to be, to be careful what you listen to. Be careful what you hear. You got to. You know, I can't do it for you. We all have to do it for ourselves. You know, for, for myself, if I don't know what I'm talking about, I don't like to talk about it. And, uh, you know, well, you know, as a pastor, kind of people expect that you know the whole Bible, like I have it memorized or something. I know, I know every, every doctrine, everything about the Bible. Well, I don't. All of you go, ah. Oh. <laughs> you know, I know I just let you all down deeply, but... But the fact is, I don't understand it all. And so I'm not going to try to explain to you something that I don't understand. I'm going to try to understand it. But there are some things that, are, that I have to leave and say, well, you know what? I don't understand it yet. I'm not going to try to get up there and pretend like I understand it. Pretend that I know all the answers, because I don't. So I'm going to be careful about that. So if, if I don't know what I'm talking about, I don't like to talk about it. And, and, and there's this need to study. There's a need to research. There's a need to find out. And again, in today's day and age, we have resources that, uh, that are at our fingertips. If you have a computer, you can search about so many different things. You can find out the answers easily and quickly. It doesn't mean you're going to understand it all. I, I do that. I research all the time, and I, I still come up sometimes shake, you know, shaking my head and wondering, like, I just don't understand that yet. And that's a process, too, you know, uh, and you know, from being a brand new believer and you understand things and, and there are things that you read and you go, I don't understand that. Well, just be patient. Maybe you'll, you know, God's going to teach you that in next year or in the years to come. Because you know what? God's word is eternal. That's what the Bible says. God's word is, is incredibly uh, um, vast. Heaven and earth will pass away, but what Jesus say? My word will never pass away. So this is a word that we're going to study in heaven forever and ever. And so for us to think that we could like get it all figured out right now, uh-uh. That's uh, foolish pride. That's vain jangling. I love that. Vain jangling. I just don't let me ever start vain jangling. I could do that right now. I could go off on some weird tangent talking about something weird. And you go, that was weird. Vain jangling. They want to be teachers of the law, but they don't know what they're talking about or what they, conf what they so confidently um, affirm. Look ahead to chapter 6, 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 6, and verses 3 through 5. <clears throat> he says here, If anyone teaches false doctrines and does not agree to the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and to godly teaching, he is conceited and he understands nothing. That's what he was talking about in chapter 1. He has an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy, strife, malicious talk, evil suspicions, constant friction between men of corrupt mind who have been robbed of the truth. 
and who think that godliness is a means to financial gain. That, you know, so often that is one of the big motivators is greed, financial gain. Well, if I just taught like this, I could have, you know, uh, more people give more money and, you know, I could raise my salary and I could have all kinds of toys and houses and boats and jets and everything else. Scary. But he says they are robbed of the truth. They're conceited. They understand nothing. Paul's writing this to a place that he taught for three years straight. Means for us to watch out, doesn't it? I like this. I found this verse. I really like this. He said, uh, this is in the book of Job, near the end where God kind of uh, pulls Job up short. And he says, the Lord answered Job out of the storm. He said, who is this that darkens my counsel with words without knowledge? You know, ultimately, we need to submit and surrender to the Lord and what he says. And, and we, we need to realize that, you know, we know very little compared to him. That doesn't mean that we don't study. That doesn't mean that we don't teach and we do the very best we can. But ultimately, we know that we, we have to humble ourselves before the creator. And that's what Job had to do. Fascinating book. You should read it sometime. Let's go back to 1 Timothy 1, verse 8. He says that we know that the law is good if one uses it properly. This is something that was a, an issue then. It was an issue, it is an issue now, this idea of the law and how that all fits into it. He says the law is good. And, but, but the Old Testament law, and, and again, they, they didn't have all the, the whole Bible like we had now, but they had the Old Testament and, and the different writings that were in the Old Testament, but they would misuse those. And one of the biggest false teachings that was around then and, and, and has persisted because I think it's part of our human nature is that we could be saved by what we do. That we're saved by works. That if we do certain things, that we are going to make it there. That, you know, that our... That our salvation is, there's like a balance, there's a scale. And if we do enough good works to outweigh the bad, we'll get there. You've heard it said, and you might have said it yourself. Well, you know, I'm a pretty good person. Any of you ever said that? You won't admit it. Come on, you won't raise your hand. Here. I know that. Or, or, you know, you say, well, you know, I never, I never murdered anyone. Or, you know, I never cheated on my wife or my husband. I, you know, I, I never um, <clears throat> broke the Ten Commandments. And Jesus came along and he said, oh, really? Well, did you ever want to kill someone? Um, yeah. Well, did you ever want to cheat? Um, yeah. You ever think about these things? He says, you know what, it, 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 it's in the heart. It's the sin that's in the heart already there. Don't think that you, you know, you're going to make it on the basis of your own good works. It's just not going to happen. We can't, we can't keep it. So, so the purpose of the law, he says, if it's good if it's used properly. So the purpose of the law we need to understand is really to show us that we need a Savior. Not that, that, that we can make it on our own. It's, in fact, it's to show us the exact opposite, that we cannot make it on our own, that we need someone to save us, the, the Savior, Jesus Christ. I want you to turn back with me to Romans chapter 7 
And you'll see it very clearly there. Romans chapter 7. In verse 7, look what he says here. Romans chapter 7. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? He's talking all about this issue. and It's a big issue that he wanted to make so clear. He said, certainly not. Indeed, I, I would not have known what sin was except through the law. For I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, do not covet. You see, the law has a place and a purpose, but it's not to get us to heaven. We're not going to get there by my own good deeds, by my own good works. We need a Savior. But the law came along to show us what sin was, to show us where we're missing the mark, to show us what, what God's holy and righteous requirements were. Look down to verse 12 there in chapter 7. He said, so then the law is holy, and the commandment is holy, righteous, and good. He said, did that which is good then become death to me? By no means, but in order that sin might be recognized as sin, it produced death in me through what was good, so that through the commandment, sin might become utterly sinful. That's really what the law was to show us to do. Now, it also, you say, well, do we just, you know, throw these things out, the Ten Commandments. I think the Ten Commandments are very important for us to know, the, you know what is right and what is good. And the, and the Bible gives us the, the, uh, the truth. You see, truth isn't relative where God is concerned. That's the common thinking today. Well, it's all kind of relative, and what you think is good is good, and what you think is bad is bad, and, and it all is kind of flexible and floating. And, and that. But, but the Bible says no, it's not. This is what the truth, this is what is right, and this is what is wrong. We call evil good and good evil. We can get away with all kinds of stuff, but when we focus on what God says, it's a whole different story, isn't it? Let's turn back to 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. He says there, we also know that law is made not for the righteous, but for lawbreakers and rebels, the ungodly and sinful, the unholy and irreligious, for those who kill their fathers or mothers, for murderers, for adulterers and perverts, for slave traders and liars and perjurers, and for whatever else is contrary to the sound doctrine. This law, this word that he's given to us that shows us who we are. You say, well, some of those things I'm not, but some of those things we are. We're all sinners. For all have sinned, the Bible teaches, and fallen short of the glory of God. Every one of us. That's not something people want to agree with. That's not something people want to accept. But that's what the truth is for you and for me. To show us who we really are. Because, you see, the, the truth is we, we like to take credit. We like to boast. As I said, I've been a good person, but, but the Bible teaches that it's by grace that we have been saved through faith. And this, not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. We're saved by grace through faith. The law of God, it just shows us where we are, shows us who we are, but it also shows us who God is. 
And it, and it points us to this Savior, Jesus. As, as he makes so clear at the end of, of these verses here, this is where it all focuses back down to the gospel of Jesus. Notice he says there, you know, the law, the word, and, and, and the word of God, what the truth that is found in these pages, he says that they, they also show us whatever else is contrary to the sound doctrine, verse 11, that conforms to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which he entrusted to me. There is a lot that's contrary to sound doctrine. There is a lot that's contrary to sound doctrine. False teaching, false teachers versus the sound doctrine. You know, what, what is interesting in these uh, pastoral epistles, uh, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus, this word is, is used nine times. This word sound is used nine times in relation to teaching, doctrine, instruction, uh, sound faith, and sound speech. It's not used anywhere else in the Bible except in Luke chapter 15 where the prodigal son he returns safe and sound. It's the only other time it's used. That's interesting, isn't it? That tells me that Paul's talking, it's, it's, a, it's a big focus. And again, the first business of, of him to deal with this, the first order of business, and then, and then he, he comes back to it over and over again. That we need this sound doctrine. And the word means whole, W-H-O-L-E, it means uncorrupt, it means healthy. Whole, uncorrupt, and healthy. Sound doctrine. That's what we need. Well, how do we get that? We have to study God's Word, right? We have to read the book. You could take a course, Sound Doctrine 101, okay, but if they don't point us back to the, what the Bible says is. I don't know what it is. It's not going to give us sound doctrine. Notice the last part of, of uh, that section there. He says this sound doctrine, he says that conforms to the glorious gospel of the blessed God. The sound doctrine that conforms to the glorious gospel of the blessed God. You see, this is the standard by which it's all judged. As I, said, as I said earlier, it all kind of funnels back to the gospel, this, this message about who Jesus is. You see, there are places that, that, you know, they don't have the Bible in their own language. There are places where cultures are more verbal than, uh, than our culture where we read a lot, or we used to. I don't know, do we? Do we still read it at all? Uh, so for, for us, it, it, you know, Jesus is the Savior of the world. And, and the Word of God, the whole message, I believe, from cover to cover is this scarlet thread of redemption where from the very beginning it was always, would, would always focus in on the fact that Jesus came to the earth to, to die for us. We're going to celebrate it in just a few days where he came to the earth to die for us because we're sinners and we needed someone to die for us or we were going to die ourselves. And that 
Then he was buried and then he rose from the dead. The glorious gospel. I, I like those words, the glorious gospel. But this is the standard. This is where it all gets down to, the, the glorious gospel of, of the blessed God. Uh, turn back with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Because it, it, it really is simple. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1. Paul speaking again. Notice what he says there. Brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel. He calls it the glorious gospel in 1 Timothy. I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. Again, he talks about holding on to the truth of the gospel of what it is that we're talking about here. This is what's going to make the difference. Again, we, we need sound doctrine. We need to study the word of God. But, but you know what? It's all got to get back to Jesus. It really does. Verse 3 said, For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. That Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. That he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. The glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. He talked earlier in the book of 1 Corinthians about the fact that, you know, some would call it foolishness. Some would call it weakness. You know, this man, it's, it's, how, can, how can that help us? This man uh, being crucified, how, that's foolishness. That makes no sense at all. How can this man being crucified, that is such weakness. He was killed, he was murdered, and he, was, he died on that cross. How can that help us at all? But Paul goes on to say, you know what? They call it that, but it is not only the wisdom of God, but it's the power of God. God knew in his wisdom that there was no other way. When Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, what did he say? Father, You know, if there's any other way, if, if it's possible, let this cut pass from me. What he, he went on to say, but not my will, but yours be done. And, and did the Father take away that cup from him? Absolutely not. Because in the wisdom of God, there was no other way but that a man would have to come and take the form of a man to die for man. There's no other way in the wisdom of God. That was the only way. He said it was the power of God power of God that he, as he died upon that cross the, the power of God and then he, as he the power that raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will raise us from the dead as well people will scoff at the cross there's no other hope for you and me the glorious gospel the cross of Jesus Christ there's no other hope for us The sound doctrine, if it doesn't get back to that, and the, and the interesting thing, when you study false doctrines, false teaching, the number one area they go wrong in is who Jesus is and what he came to do. Number one, always. Now, they might, you know, and I think this is where we define cults, and this is where we know they're going off the rails, is what do they teach about who Jesus is and what he did? Oh, he was just a good teacher. Wrong. Oh, 
you know, he kind of rose. He, he, he didn't rise physically. He just sort of rose as, a, as a, an apparition. Wrong. Well, he was, you know, he had a lot of cool stuff to say. But so does everybody else. So do all these other guys. And there are a lot of paths that lead to heaven. You know? In fact, we're all going there. Didn't you know that? That scares me. You know, because I've been thinking about this a lot for obvious reasons lately. You know, that, that the Bible teaches us about heaven. You know, we all want to go there. We all think, you know, it's, it's important. But the Bible is, is the book that declares to us about heaven. But the Bible also declares to us about how we get there. It doesn't say everybody's going there. Newsflash. What does it say? Jesus said, you know, that he was going to prepare a place for us, speaking about heaven. And he said that he was the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but through him. That's what he said. So it's kind of, uh, you know, it, it's not really honest in a sense that we, we like to hear what the Bible says about heaven, but we don't really want to listen to what it says about how to get there. It's inconsistent, right? Back to 1 Timothy, he says the sound doctrine that conforms to the glorious gospel of the blessed God. We are sinners. We deserve death. The wages of sin is death, and Jesus died for our sins. He defeated death by his resurrection. And, and we, you and I, we need to believe and trust in him and receive him. It's just that simple. So, finishing up, how do we combat false teaching? How do we, you know, what do we do with all this? Is really what we need is we need clear and faithful teaching of the scripture. We don't need, you know, stories, though I don't mind stories. I'll tell a story or two now and then. We don't need, you know, fancy, you know, productions and Sometimes those are good, too, and I like a good, you know, illustration. But if it ever takes us away from God's word, we've got to be careful and watch out, because that's what happens so often, right? Turn, turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 4. Again, Paul's still writing, and it's still on his mind. This is a, a book that's written later. As a matter of fact, this... is Paul's swan song, so to speak. This is his last writing. He knows that he's going to die very, very soon. He knew that he was going to be uh, martyred very soon. Look at verse 7, chapter 4, or verse 6. He says, I'm already being poured out like a drink offering. The time has come for my departure. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. But what I want to point you to is in chapter 4, verse 1 and 2. He says, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead. And in view of his appearing in his kingdom, I give you this charge. That's kind of heavy, just the way he worded that. In the presence of God and of Christ, I give you this charge. And what is his charge? Verse 2, preach the word. Preach the word. Don't preach ideas. Don't preach 
you know, fanciful notions and, and myths and all kinds of different stuff. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. Be prepared. Get into the Word and teach it, you know, in season, out of season, all seasons. Winter, spring, summer, and fall. When you feel like it, when you don't feel like it. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience. Careful instruction. He says, for the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. There it is again. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn aside. Turn away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you, keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. Preach the word. Clear. Careful instruction of the Word of God. I'm so uh, proud of, of uh, of our children's ministry. They preach the Word of God. They teach those kids the Word of God. They go through the Word of God faithfully, chapter by chapter, verse, verse by verse. They study it more than we do, I think, sometimes. Preach the Word, he says. Be prepared. We've got to stay in the book. And not just here on Sundays. I say this a lot, but you and I need to get into the book for ourselves. Open it up at home. Don't, don't wait. You need to find out. How are you going to know if I start saying some weird stuff if you're not reading it yourself? How are you going to know? But if you're just reading it, I read a quote from, I think it was the Adams president, Adams from years and years and years ago. And he said, you know, that book, he said, the Bible is speaking about, he said, you know, it's not a book you read once or twice. He says it's a book, he says it's a book you read a, a chapter or two, like every day, for your life. That's what you and I need to do as, as believers, as followers of Jesus. He said, abide in my word. Let's pray together, shall we? Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day and that we can be together to share in the life that you've given to us, the glorious gospel. Father, uh, I just pray that you would light a fire in us, each one of us, fill us anew with your Holy Spirit that we might be on fire to serve you in this world. And, and the days are evil, that we might... Uh, just be faithful witnesses to share what the Word of God says, the truth of the gospel of Jesus, that He is our only hope. And as we even come up to Easter, to Good Friday and the day of resurrection, that we would just remember that there is no other hope. There was no other way. There was no other path. There was no other Savior. There was no other uh, philosophy. There was no good works that we could do. There's only a Savior, and His name is Jesus. And Jesus, we thank You that greater love is no man than this, that He would lay down His life for His friends, and You laid Your, your life down for us. And we receive that. But we also, we come and lay our lives down at Your feet. 
and offer you our lives that we might serve you in this day, in this age. Give us boldness, give us courage, Lord. I pray too for anyone who may be here this morning who's, who's never received Jesus, who's never trusted in him as Savior. Maybe, maybe that's you today. You're here, you've heard that he is the only Savior, the only way, and, and, and you know you need help. You're lost, you're, you're in need of a Savior. Well, you've come to the right place at the right time, and today is a good day to simply say, Dear Jesus, I open my life and my heart to you. Please forgive me. Please come in. I surrender to you today, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's all stand and sing together, shall we?